0: We can have a weekly communion with the Lord when we partake of the sacrament. And and I think, it, you know, part of us, part of ourselves is that preparation for that event when we prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord into our own, you know, individual redemptive or or experience uh, as, we, as we partake of the sacrament. So bring that back to the deacons, teachers, priests, I think is easy. But I also think it's just as easy to bring that back to Any member of the church, girl or male or female, young woman or 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 young man, I can't explain why certain duties are for certain people, but what I can explain is, is say that as we understand what the preparatory priesthood is, this preparation for the coming of the Lord, I think that all of us, men and women, have an opportunity and a responsibility within this preparatory priesthood to do our part to prepare. People prepare one another, prepare those that we know, and prepare ourselves, of course, for this uh, coming of the Lord.
1: Another great episode of The Cultural Hall coming your way in just a moment. I want to make a logical appeal to you to be a Patreon subscriber of The Cultural Hall. In the year 2020, we will have produced 116 hour-long episodes of The Cultural Hall. Meaning, if you are at the $3 Patreon tier and you paid, starting in January, all year long, $36, that you paid $0.31 cents an episode, that's worth $0.31 cents for an episode, wouldn't you say? You wouldn't meet me in a public place and say, you're not. your episodes aren't even worth $0.31, cents, would you? Maybe you would. If you would, just disregard this message. If you wouldn't, think about becoming a Patreon saint of the cultural hall. We have until midnight on December 31st, and then that $3 tier is going away. You'll still be able to do that $3 tier if you get in at that point. It just won't be available to new people coming in the new year. We'll keep the $5 tier. We'll keep the $10 tier. But that $3 tier going away. Hurry and do it. Patreon.com forward slash The Cultural Hall, or you can go to uh, theculturalhall.com. Just look for the little button that says Patreon right there. Love to have you doing it there. Love to have you be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group. And most importantly, just really hoping that you enjoy this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. This one may have a little bit of a different flair for it. We're going to talk about um, the ironic Priesthood. Now, here's the deal. Uh, before you're like, OK, Skip, what's the next episode that the cultural has to offer? I hope that within this episode we can talk about um, the ironic Priesthood more than we just think of young men in white shirts with slightly messed up hair uh, and and whatever kind of comes to mind when we think of. Uh, the ironic priesthood, right? We want to talk about the power. We want to talk about uh, why we need it? Why, uh, you know, why it is the lesser of the priesthoods and everything around it? And here to talk to us about the ironic priesthood is Nathan K. Nelson. He's written a book. Uh, it's called "Upon You, My Fellow Servants: Harnessing the Power of the Ironic Priesthood." Uh, thank you so much for being here, sir.
0: Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here, and uh, looking forward to talking about those kids with messed up hair and <laughs> wrinkled shirts and, it, and maybe it, also figuring out a little bit about how it could apply to the rest of us too.
1: Well, yeah. And, and, and it's funny because maybe that's what first comes to mind, but I think that there's a lot of other, um, things that come with it. Certainly when we talk about the preparatory priesthood, all that stuff that's to come, we'll get to that in the second and third block. I want to know, uh, who the heck you are, Nathan, uh, tell me where you're from and w- what's your story.
0: Yeah, sure thing. Um, I lead
1: an exciting, typical story of a guy from Utah. So okay, okay. You know, so let me let me guess. Let me guess. Guy from Utah, typical story. We're gonna say uh, born and raised in Utah. Checking that one. Okay, you uh, you served a mission, and that was the furthest away from home you'd ever been for the longest amount of time. Yep. Uh, doesn't so far. doesn't matter where it was. Uh, necessarily. I mean, it does matter, and I do want to fill that in, but as we're just going for the stereotypical thing, uh, you learned to love the people, and it was the hardest and the best two years that you ever had. So far, so good. Okay, then you came home, uh, you went uh, back to a school that you had attended for either six months or a year before you left on the mission, and within... Let's see. i'm I'm looking at you and people who are Patreon subscribers of the cultural hall. they can see you as well. I'm gonna say it was two years or less until you met your now wife and uh, got married. Am I right so far?
0: So far, you're hitting hitting the bull'seye.
1: Okay, okay, so then you got a job. Let's see how well I do. You got a job <laughs> uh, doing something that you were that you were kind of interested in. Um, you know, sort you you felt like it would be a great job to be able to support uh your family, which you have now. You have let's see, you don't look exceptionally tired, so I'm gonna say not more than five kids. I'm gonna say you have four kids. Am I right? Four Four kids. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So you have four kids. Uh you work in, in the same field as that uh first job that you sort of had. But you're you're middle you're middle to upper management and you've decided to write this book because it's something that you've always been passionate about and has sort of been a dangling carrot out there for you, like, hey, can I do this? And now you're seeing it to come to fruition. Am I right?
0: You're close. Oh, okay. You're close. Okay. Not, not quite in the same job anymore. Okay. But uh, okay. But, uh, <laughs> but you're close. And and one thing can be very clear is we are a predictable people, and yeah. we're not.
1: Yeah. P- peculiarly predictable in some peculiarly ways. Peculiarly
0: predictable. And I suppose, as, as boring as that sometimes sounds, I don't think it's overly unique when we when we stack ourselves up against the rest of the world. Well, too.
1: well yeah. and I, I think a lot of people, you know, um, I think the majority of people grow up in in the, certainly the same state, but mostly in the same area that they were, et cetera. Right. Uh, let's fill in some of those gaps. When you say Utah, where in Utah are we talking about?
0: Yeah, great. So I, I grew up in Salt Lake City. Okay. Um, and, uh, I lived there my whole life, and like where said, where was the mission? I went on a mission to Salvador, Brazil.
1: Cool. And, and now the one
0: thing that I can say for myself is, you had to do something right in the pre-existence to get called to Brazil, and
1: um, I, you know I,
0: that 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 worked out for me.
1: So what so. so what do you mean? What was so great about? And I think I think it can also is pretty telling as to how old you are now because you don't do that return missionary thing that we all do if you serve foreign. Where you go, Salvador. Right, like you, you, you've let that go, so it's been long enough that that's no longer there. But what, what's so um, great about I'm Brazil? Glad
0: that that's left. Yeah, I've anglicized that enough. No, uh, yeah, I mean missions are missions, right? They're amazing and wonderful experiences. And mine was no different. Um, it, it really was spectacular. In fact, I might mention a couple of years ago, I went back to my mission. Just uh, I happened to be in Brazil on business, and I took my wife and really, like, I have to say, it was like one of the highlight experiences of my life was to go back and and really see firsthand the generational impact of the gospel on people. That was really cool. And cool.
1: cool. So, That's something we've never discussed. Tell me what you mean by that.
0: You know, it was just um, like seeing people uh, who I had met 20 years prior and seeing that, like what had happened when, you know, a 19 year old kid had gotten married and had children and grown in and, and served a mission of his own and grown in maturity in, in his leadership capacity in the church and and in his family and and then just seeing that like like I said that generational impact and sort of gaining that realization that you know who was I to question whether that whether somebody had the capacity to stay active or all those silly things you used to worry about, you know, when you were out there as an eighteen or nineteen year old kid and Yeah. And um anyway it was it was uh it it, it was marvelous. It was it was yeah. almost like crossing the veil in some ways. You cool. know
1: what, what what a unique experience. And then obviously, you know, when you served your mission before your wife wasn't there. So to be able to take her right. along and be able to, you know, to open up that part of who you were. Like we, we all tell stories to our spouses and our spouses go, yeah. And then at the end, did this happen? Or are like, oh, I've already told you this, but to yeah. be able to experience it, to see it, to experience the places that, that we lived and sacrificed so much for what a, what a rare and awesome experience.
0: Yeah, it was cool. It was cool. So, uh,
1: so, so you come home, uh, and, and I was right in the less than two years to get married. Tell me how you met your wife.
0: So we actually uh, met in high school. Okay. Um, We did not date in high school. She wanted nothing to
1: do with you, is what I'm hearing.
0: That's right. I can't. I'm not gonna. (laughs) Not gonna uh, fall into that trap. But uh, but we did date uh, after high school and before our mission, and you know we kept things at a safe distance, of Mm -hmm. course, for that those two years where she likes to make clear that she had plenty of time to you know (laughs) check out all the other fish in the sea. Sure. And when I got home. I didn't.
1: So she she locked that down. Good for her. Good for her. She's a closer. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, we mentioned that uh, you you had a job at that time that you're not working in that field now. What is it that you do for a living? Are you a a full-time author?
0: Um, (laughs) I am not a full-time author. I am an accidental author if there ever was one. But uh, I actually work in private equity, real estate. Uh, I tell people I have the glamorous job of buying apartment complexes for a living. Huh. So um, that's, I spend a lot of time traveling around the country and looking at real estate. So well, that's, that's, my, that's, that's my, that's pretty cool job. though. Yeah, that's yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it's actually, you know, we all got to find our fit in the world and it's a fit for me. It's been a lot of fun and met a ton of people all over the country and you know, developed great friendships and relationships. That's something I, I enjoy a lot.
1: So before we get into subject matter, and we will do that in the uh, second and third block, as we talk about the ironic Priesthood, you said an accidental author. What what the what the heck does that mean?
0: Yeah, you know, like, um, I guess I've, you know, I've always liked to write a little bit. But um, I think in my, in the bio, in the book, <laughs> it, it says the only thing I've ever written were obnoxious text messages and a few Christmas letters. Like <laughs> uh, I can't say that I aspired to, you know, write this book or anything like that, but I, I sort of developed a, I guess a few questions and a few, and and kind of had a passion around this particular topic that developed um, some of it developed out of things I was frustrated with even, you know, in in my own uh, church experience. And, and so in an effort to sort of process some of these questions and answers, I started writing down my thoughts and before long, it became a, you know, chapter and and verse type of a Hmm. uh, thing and, and got a little bit of positive encouragement along the way from everybody, from, from not everybody, but from a handful of people. And, you know, at one point I thought, well, this will be a nice book that maybe I can show my kids or whatever. And lo and behold, a couple of people took interest and. One day somebody said we'd like to publish it. Wow! uh, It's been kind of an exciting, uh, you know, unintentional project. How
1: how uh, how is the family taking it? Do they give you a a sort of a ribbing like, oh yeah, writing the book on it, that kind of thing, or are they?
0: Yeah, no, they they definitely. I, I I get a lot of that kind of stuff, you know, oh, like yeah. oh, our esteemed author yeah. <laughs> in the family and F- that kind of thing.
1: Families now. are great about that, aren't they? Like if we ever yeah, feel- yeah, they have a way of keeping you grounded. Yeah, if we ever feel really good about ourselves, boy, turn to our family. They'll help us stay nice and humble. Did you write much uh, in a journal on your on your mission? So it's interesting that you asked that. Like
0: I actually was a really faithful journal writer. Mm-hmm. Um, I. um I wrote every day and I, and I go back and I read it and I like, I don't think it was anything all that eloquent or anything. I was more like trying to keep the record and make, you know, somebody had told me one day you'll value that. And, Uh and, and I do value it. I I actually think it's probably one of my most cherished possessions is that, you know, old journal I've got that's held together with yellow duct tape. Um, But, but since then, you know, I can't say I've been like a real great journal writer or anything. I've, you know, probably like a lot of people, I've got some entries on the days my kids were born. Yeah. And, you know, things like that where I felt like I should probably put something down, but uh, it's something I um, always want to do better at. Sure. But- Uh, but have never been as good as I was for those two years.
1: Yeah. The, the mission journal is such a unique thing because, you know, like so many missionaries, in fact, I think it's ingrained in all of us, whether it be in the MTC experience or just anecdotally from those who have gone before us, you know, the crying, weeping, I should have written more and I didn't, but uh, you know, you, you, um, you write and, and, and you, (laughs) from. For me, I didn't know necessarily what I was writing. Uh, you know, I I am not eloquent by any means, but you know, I wanted to document what I did, and and so much of the the journal that I wrote was like today we visited with blah blah blah, and then we went here, so yeah. it's al- almost like a play by play. But it's fascinating to me these experiences that I don't even necessarily document within my writing. But as soon as I go today was the rainiest day we've ever had. And we had to go outside. Like I remember how I felt being soaking wet in my suit and wrapping my scriptures in a, you know, in the uh, grocery bag that we had right. to stop in and get. And, and I don't document that, but I'm able to just feel and experience it. And, in you know, in those times when things get really rough, like to be able to go back and, and read it, it, I mean, it is just as valuable as everyone says. But to someone else reading it, they'd be like, "Cool! So he had beef stroganoff for dinner, and then he right. went for a walk. Awesome! Thanks." For, I think that's what makes me. it
0: so. I think that's what makes it so sacred, you know, because it is so deeply personal in that in what it evokes as those experiences and those feelings and those, you know, all those things that 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 we ha- that you have, just like you articulated. Um, whereas to somebody else, it's like. You know, yeah. oh, um, like, yeah. well, that, that, that's great. I don't see what's so great about your
1: mission. Like, yeah. yeah, you had to be there. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest you had to be there experience. Let's take a break right now. And when we come back, I want to know what some of the questions were that prompted you to uh, write this book. I'll ask you what those are, and we'll get right into the ironic Priesthood. That's coming back in the second block of the Cultural Hall.
2: Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops. I know we're going through a lot right now. Many states are quarantining people to their homes so that they have to work remotely. One of the things that's really important is to have a computer that's functioning correctly. One with a good webcam, one that's fast so you can be productive, one that has a good quality screen because you're going to be on this all day remotely. Computer supply has been strained because manufacturing has almost stopped. At PC Laptops, we've secured a limited quantity of laptop and desktop computers that are backed with a lifetime service guarantee. They're available for you right now in limited quantity. The great thing about PC Laptops is this. Once you buy your new computer, if you have any problems or questions, we're here to take care of you. Also, to make it really easy right now, we've arranged with some banks to offer 12-month special financing. Get into PC Laptops right now because at PC Laptops, we're here for you and we're in this together. PCLaptops.com
1: Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, take a second, won't you please? I know many of you have done it before. In fact, at latest count, I think it's 257 people have gone and left us a review for the Cultural Hall. Uh, Lots of five stars, a few one stars. I don't like those people anyway. Uh, But if you want to give us a review wherever you are getting this episode of the Cultural Hall, uh, tell people what you like about it. There's a particular episode or... Uh, just maybe you you like what we do. It helps us to be seen by other people. And just like what you do before you spend your time on things, you look and see what others have said. Would love for you to do that. You can also find us at the cultural hall on all social medias. And uh, if you ever want to correspond with us, you can do that there or email us contact at the cultural com. Now I've been calling you Nathan. Is it all right if I call you Nate or are you a Nathan?
0: Uh, I, I always introduce myself as Nathan, but I'm very soon a Nate and, quite frankly, I've gone by a lot of things uh, far less desirable yeah, than that. So.
1: Much worse. All right. So so Nate, so Nate's great. as we talk about uh, the uh, the questions that sort of prompted some of this book, uh, are we talking like a, a faith crisis or are we talking just questions about the ironic Priesthood?
0: Yeah, I don't know that I would say I was a faith crisis of any sort um, in particular, but I will say that there were some sort of out of left field doubts and they were kind of, maybe you'll laugh at my doubts because it was kind of a, a funny doubt in a way, but, um, and I don't even remember where this started, but somewhere along the line, I started to like, just kind of question. I had a, I had a sort of a weird gospel question about angels. Okay. What was the question? Just like, what's their purpose? And do we really, do I even really believe in angels? Like, you know, we talk about the angels and we, and we say things like angels were there or were, are among us today or whatever. Sure. Um, But I was, I was like, like, for what? <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> like, what are they here for? Okay. And, like, and, and, uh, and so I, I, it was, you know, I've, I've always thought about Renaissance angels and their, you know, wings and halos. Yeah, and, playing the harps and, over right, there. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, and to me, I just thought like, I don't know that my understanding of angels is really any better than some guy 500 years ago that was drawn halos and wings. And so um, like, anyway, that was, it's sort of a bizarre and maybe, like I said, out of left field quandary, but it evolved quickly into an interesting uh, sort of thought process, I suppose, for me, where uh, I started wanting to kind of research a little bit about angels and what their purpose was. And I, and I start, and it's probably just, you know, you know, during some boring high counselor talk or something <laughs> one Sunday that I started poking around the back of my Bible, but I looked and and I kept being drawn back to this idea of the ministry of angels. And the only place I'd really heard of the ministry of angels was in the Doctrine and Covenants, where it talks about uh, the Aaronic priesthood holding the keys to the ministering of angels. Okay. And frankly, as I read that verse, I sort of realized, you know, there it says right there, you know, that this priesthood holds the keys to the ministering of angels, which made about as much sense to me then as, you know, as as halos and wings. I, I thought, like, do I don't even, know what does that even mean to hold the keys to the ministering of angels? What is that? And and so anyway, it was sort of in the pursuit of answers to that question, to those types of questions that this sort of whole world opened up to me about what the perp, real purpose of the Aaronic Priesthood was. And I ended up reading a few other verses and things that became really, really eye-opening and pertinent um, as answers to, to this question that that, and I think you know, if I could sum it up I'd say the whole thing sort of keyed in on this notion of preparation and and the preparatory priesthood and and I began at least in my own mind to really redefine what I thought or what I knew the the preparatory pre what it, what it meant to to hold the preparatory priesthood or to have access to the preparatory priesthood so that's sort of is the genesis of the book um, and uh, and it evolved into really, you know, several different facets of exploring how all of us, not just that wrinkle-shirted kid, Mm -hmm. um, but men and women, and I have three girls, like that was another sort of aspect of this was, where do my three daughters, like, fit into this preparatory priesthood, and and kind of trying to gain an understanding of that. This sort of evolved into, uh, you know, a few of these chapters that then became this book of understanding what it means to to really prepare um uh to, to have this of this preparatory priest which to me became the the definition being to prepare for the coming of the Lord as a as opposed to just preparing to you know get the next one
1: interesting so like as you pose the question uh, uh you know what do we have angels for I guess in my mind like I've never thought about that question so Thank you. But now I'm gonna <laughs> like be that. It's out of left field. Yeah, but I'm gonna be obsessing over that as we sort of chat today. Uh, but but like my my mind immediately goes to like the Angel Moroni, right? That the Angel Moroni came to the bedside of the prophet Joseph, came multiple times and said, Hey, you know what, you got a tremendous work to do, and there's a book and and uh you know, that sort of is that thing. Um and then I think about angels visiting um Joseph Smith again at the at the Kirtland Temple in the restoration of you know, of all the of all the keys and blessings within, um, you know, I think it's one section one hundred nine or one ten of the Doctrine and Covenants where they say, you know, hey, I'm I'm this angel. Here's this, and this is what this means, and and now we can all be tied together and all that stuff. But other than that, I've never really considered angels, because I mean, I, I I'd like an angel, and if I if well, I held the uh, Aaronic Priesthood, I was supposed to be in charge of ministering angels. I didn't do a very good job because I never told them to go anywhere. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that was part of my question, too, is like I had heard of all of those same guys. And but like since then, I haven't heard of any others.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So so if it's preparatory, uh, I want to dive into then a couple of the things that you sort of queued up, maybe a a little bit of a hot button uh, issue is, you know, and we've talked about this, uh, not ad nauseum here in the cultural hall, but certainly it's come up within different interviews is you know young women they'll see that the young men are able to to administer within the ironic priesthood and 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 be able to uh, to access the ironic priesthood in the actual doing of of the you know the errands that are assigned to those of the ironic priesthood and they go hey how come I can't and we all go i don't know cuz so yeah. so so how then can your young women your daughters these that you care very most precious about how can they um access the, the power of, of the preparatory priesthood.
0: Yeah. I, like this is a part of the question I had. And, and I think, you know, my short answer to, to a lot of that is the same one you just gave. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know why it is the way it is or what, you know, and um, it's far be it for me to venture to, to speculate guess, or like that, that, that rabbit hole is not always productive. But what I can say that I've sort of learned and, and is, that, you know, I, I feel like we, and I will make generalizations here that I'll probably be chastised for later, but I think that we collectively, you know, can do a better job of understanding the Aaronic Priesthood as not just, like, I, I think if we limit our view of it, that it is this preparatory priesthood for young men to prepare for Melchizedek Priesthood, you know, the typical answers, all those things, I think that, you know, that all's, that's all fine and good. But I think it's very, very limited into what the real intent of the preparatory priesthood is. Um, And maybe I'll hopefully not be too obnoxious and maybe, but I will maybe just cite a couple of scriptural verses that I found interesting. Yeah, please. You know, if you, if you, to me, like you talk about the angels, um, one of the, one of those angels that we didn't mention is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was like, like, he's the, like, he's the guy that got sent down to give the Aaronic priesthood. So he must be like the ultimate Aaronic priesthood holder. And if you read about him when he was born, and we all remember the story of his parents who were old and his dad was you know, struck dumb for a period of time because he he doubted the the prophecy and all that. But, um, but that prophecy is cool if you read it. It's some of the most beautiful language in the scriptures, in my opinion. And the angel Gabriel and Zacharias both talk about John the Baptist and say that his role will be to, to go before the Lord and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And this, this idea really struck me, that to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And then, you know, another prophet, Moroni, he in he talked about the ministering of angels, really specifically, and I never even thought about this until I read it, but he, he talks about ministering of angels and, and talks says that one of their purposes is to call men to repentance, to fulfill and to do the work of the covenant, and to prepare the way among the children of men, um, Again, this notion of preparation and and preparing people for for the coming of the Lord and and so to me expanding our vision of the preparatory priesthood to a preparation of ourselves hmm. for for the coming of the Lord and and we might talk about you know this day way out in the future when we all nobody knows you know Jesus is going to come down out of the sky one day and, and it's going to be you know we're all going to be excited about that but uh, I think more too is the preparation of you know we can have a weekly communion with the Lord when we partake of the sacrament. And, and I think, it you know, part of us, part of ourselves is that preparation for that event when we prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord into our own, you know, individual uh, redemptive or, or experience uh, as we as we partake of the sacrament. So, you know, bring that back to the deacons, teachers, priests, I think is easy, but I also think it's just as easy to bring that back to any member of the church, girl or male or female, young woman or, or, or young man, and so for me, I can't explain why certain duties are for certain people. Sure, But what I can explain is, is, say that, is, is that as we understand what the preparatory priesthood is, this preparation for the coming of the Lord. And, and I might cite Moroni one more time in that same verse. He talks about preparing uh, the chosen vessels of the Lord to bear testimony of him. Hmm. Uh, so that the residue or the everybody else may also receive the te- receive uh, the the Lord. So I think that all of us, men and women, have an op- opportunity and a responsibility within this preparatory priesthood to do our part to prepare people, prepare one another, prepare those that we know, and prepare ourselves, of course, for this uh coming of the Lord. That to me is sort of, you know, by broadening this umbrella or broadening, you know, enlarging the tent, if you will, I think is where we find space uh, for everyone to to gain access to this preparatory power of the Aaronic Priesthood.
1: So how do we, um, and I would be interested in actually like the formulaic or the very, um you know, prescribed way in which we do it, like how would you say that we could better prepare for the sacrament? And we're in a unique time now where we're able to take the sacrament within the walls of our own home. So we're able to control some of that environment even more, but maybe principles for within our own home as we have the opportunity to take the sacrament, but also as we return and worship with others, what what uh, literal things can we do to prepare for the sacrament to make that a greater experience and harness the power?
0: Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, I've actually joked in recent weeks that I think, you know, the biggest problem the church has on their hand right now is the fact that they gave the priesthood to everybody. You've got to figure out a way to rein this back in because everyone's loving being able to do the sacrament at home and and have these really sweet and customized ex- experiences, you know, worship experiences. So mm-hmm. um, it's cool, but but I do think there are things we can do um, tactically to to prepare, and and that's one thing I've I think I've given a lot of thought to is like how do you take something that's really general and um and and perhaps doctrinal and bring it down to a a practical or tact and tactical execution? Um, how do you take this notion of you know we need to prepare everyone and prepare ourselves and then make it practical? Kind of to to speak to your question a little bit. I remember. I think it's been five or six years ago when you probably remember too. When uh, President Nelson came out and and it was and suddenly the church like decided to, to the the Sabbath day was going to be like the most important thing we were going to focus
1: on. Yeah, for a while. yeah, I remember that. A big, I mean, it, it always sort of had been, but this was like, no, 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 guys, we meet it. Let's keep the Sabbath day holy. Yeah, and we're going to talk about it a bunch. And when you think we've talked about it enough. We're going to have another talk about it. And then the stake presidency will talk about it. And then your bishop will as well. But to really drive home the value of keeping a Sabbath day holy.
0: Yeah. And, and that was like, I remember when that happened and I remember being like, like, really? Like Sabbath day? That's what we're going to like hang our hat on, you know, like, and, and it took me a little bit to get my head around it. But, but I remember uh, one thing that President Nelson said at that time that just struck me and, and I've thought a lot about is is uh, and i'll i probably will not give the quote exactly correct in fact i know i won't but effectively he said when we learn to uh hallow the sabbath better hallow the sabbath day faith will increase throughout the world Hmm. and i Hmm. thought to myself like that's pretty profound you know like how is it connect those dots how is it that when we hallow the sabbath day faith is going to increase throughout the world and you know, as, as I thought about that, I think the answer is is in these tactical things that we need to be doing to prepare. If we put the sacrament as like the central, I mean, if if, if we really believe that that is the most important thing we do all week, mm-hmm. and we prepare for it, and then I think there, you know, I I, I, I think if, whether it's in our conversations, whether you know, whatever it is that we have to do uh, collectively to prepare for that. Um, I think, I think we all take part in this, uh, opportunity to, to help fulfill, help fulfill this, these keys that are with, that are of the the Aaronic priesthood, um, the ministry of angels, this notion of call people to repentance, uh, do the work of the covenant, uh, which uh, you know, what's more work of the covenant than doing this, doing the sacrament. We, we look to the Aaronic priesthood holders and their duties to invite, exhort, preach, teach, invite all to come unto Christ, all of these things. Um, and so, you know, I think it's up to, you know, and each individual sort of figure out what does that mean for them? How, will, how can I better repent this week? How can I better invite someone to come unto Christ this week? With my, with my eye being on the sacrament, how can I help someone repent this week? How can I make it so that the line out the bishop's door is so long with people trying to come and repent, you know, what's my role in that? Is my role to come? How can I be in that line this week myself or I'd be there with my son or my daughter, or my brother, or my friend? Um, you know, some of that, obviously, you know, maybe speaking a little bit in platitudes, but but I think the notion of really putting that sacrament as, as the central focus, if that holds true and we really can makes the sacrament the f- central focus. and we can prepare ourselves and we can prepare one another. and we can, um, when we are doing, you know relief society activities or whatever it is or young men or young women's activities during the week that we are tying ironic priesthood keys to those activities. and we're showing how whatever we're doing is part of this preparation, um, we will have more people at the sacrament table we have more people receiving that testimony of the Savior. and ultimately, I think we instill within our collective selves, this desire to share that. And thus faith can in fact increase across the world uh, or throughout the world. And, and, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I always feel a little funny, like, you know, talking about these things like in this way, but, but if this is really what I, what we believe, and it is what I believe we're part of something pretty amazing and pretty awesome. Yeah. And, and like proof's in the pudding, let's, let's go out and make it happen and let's, Let's make uh, this effort of preparation real. I mean, there's no, you look about what the First Presidency talks about today. I mean, it's, they, they have special firesides for youth to line everybody up to be part of this, quote, youth battalion and be part of the gathering of Israel. And I believe that this, I believe it starts and ends with this, uh, with the erotic Priesthood, way more than we realize. Um, hmm. And therein, I think, is, is a pretty cool, are some pretty cool opportunities.
1: You know, it's an interesting thing just thinking about like my own um, like sacrament uh, partaking or, you know, my own Sabbath observance. And I just think about like I think sometimes we can get fairly prescriptive in like the oh, we need to make sure we this and then this and then this and then this. and, And and I think that that can I think that that can work well. But where I have seen almost miracles, if I can, you know, define them as such, is is even if I'm just like, you know what I'm going to do? Not have my phone (laughs) during the part of the sacrament, right? Or like, you know what? I have a question and I'm going to go to church and I'm going to look for the Lord to answer my question. We talk about that a lot with like general conference, right? We go in hoping that, you know, that God will speak to us through one of the prophets and answer the questions, but we can do that. And in the opportunities that I've had to do that, in a in a sacrament meeting or in my church you know in my in my church practice like to actually do that i can't think of a time that i have sought out to get something and haven't but it's so funny to me and funny you know in in quotes of course that i don't do that every time like i i don't you know sometimes i'm going because it's sunday and that's what we do sometimes i'm going because it's sunday and i want to be the example for the this and that or because i have the calling that's this and that but if i can Even at the very basic level, just go and have an expectation, a question, be looking to be prepared for, you know, whether we want to take it to the grand thing of the second coming of Christ or just prepared so I can make it through another week of life. Like God will give it to us. And I don't, I I, I think if I can echo what you're saying, I don't think we take advantage of it as much as we should.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I think I mean, we just get, like I said, we're predictable people, right? And we get into routines and all of these things. And, I, and and you know, I think there's opportunity to, to take a time out and recognize the grandeur and the opportunity that we have. I'll tell you just a quick little story. Uh, it's been, uh, I guess, last year sometime, I I went to the State Developmental Center, which I don't know if you know this place, but it's a, it's a, Basically, a hospital for the most severely disabled people, you know, mm. that live in our state. Mm. And I mean, most of these people don't speak, don't see, you know, live in a wheelchair. And, and in my area where I live, we get an assignment occasionally to go, you know, participate in a sacrament meeting there. So at the sacrament meeting, they have there are a few higher functioning people who uh, help pass and bless the sacrament, and it's quite an experience because. Uh, so there's, when I was there last, like, you know, they, they bless the sacrament. It's barely audible and effectively unintelligible, but you know, there's an amen at the end of sorts. Mm-hmm. And they, and then these men uh, take the trays and they come to your row and they lean down with great enthusiasm and say, did you get some,
1: <laughs>
0: did you get enough? Do you have some, you know, perfect. And, and, and then they take the train and they literally run to the other side of the aisle and you can hear them, you know, almost laughing and, and just having a great time with this. And and again, did you get enough? Did you get enough? And, and as I walked away from that, you know, it's, it's really, uh, it's fun to, to be there and sort of soak that in, but it was really thought provoking too. And I walked away and thought like, you know, is that how I approach it every week? Of am hmm. like, is it, we really value it to the point where we say, did you get enough? Did you get some, did everybody have that experience with the Lord today? Did everybody have, did everybody come and seek, like you said, you know, seeking an answer or find one. And did everybody have that, that recharge to get help them get through the week or, or whatever. And, and I think as, you know, so I think as those who, whether it's those who hold the ironic priesthood that are you know accomplishing these duties and delivering on these duties that come with that enthusiasm and clarity of purpose or if it's the rest of us who are just coming to partake of it and 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 ha- we come with that same enthusiasm and clarity of purpose i think you know when we have the right perspective and the right vision it becomes a lot easier to know like what are the little tactical things that i can be doing whether it's turning my phone off whether it's you know, coming early or or, or whatever, um, to help uh, help us to to gain that those types of experiences and and walk away feeling like yes, I did get enough and that was perfect. You know.
1: Yeah, and, and then certainly with that, you know, to have that fulfilling experience, I can't imagine a person who comes away from that feeling so enriched who, in the next time that they're feeling you know challenged with life, wouldn't recall that experience and then want to do it again. It's when we go to church, you know, week on week and we don't have those things. We aren't fulfilled. We come away lacking and stuff like that, that very quickly it's easy for us to be like, yeah, I don't really get anything out of it. I'm not, you know, maybe I'll skip this next week and... And then that becomes two weeks and, and five weeks and so on. I want to take another break. And when I come back, uh, or when we come back, rather, I want to talk to you a little bit more about what you might have learned about angels and then pick up anything else that, uh, that we need to understand better, more, uh, more insight about the ironic Priesthood. We'll do that. And the three questions that we ask everyone, that's coming up in the third block of the cultural hall. <laughs> When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit Lennondesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, are you a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall? If not, you should be. Go to patreon.com slash Hall. I'll spell it because I speak fastly p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the cultural hall just like it sounds and there are three different tiers of which you can support the show there's the telestial there's the terrestrial and there's the uh, celestial and those are different monetary levels uh, we have some fun incentives for you to be like a, a part of, a, of the uh, the Cultural Hall secret but not sacred Facebook group. You can check that out and you can be a part of that. Along with that, it doesn't cost anything to be a part of the Cultural Hall back row. That's a focused group of people who just love chatting about some of the side tangents that we get here in the Cultural Hall. You can find that by searching the Cultural Hall back row and then I'll let you in. You have to ask permission because I don't want spammers. I'm not a huge fan of spammers. So Patreon or the cultural hall back row on Facebook, check it out. Love to have you guys there. Nathan, Nate, my buddy, Nate, Nate's great. Let me ask you, uh, what else might you have learned about, uh, angels from your question? Anything? Well, I, I think it,
0: you know, became, uh, we'll see what else could, uh, I learned a lot of things. I'm trying to think what what else I can. You're choose. like I
1: wrote a whole book about it. Read the book. Yeah. What am yeah. I supposed to tell you right now, pal?
0: So I plug it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think the main thing that uh, the big takeaway for me was was just that uh, in my mind, angels are angels is specific. Those are heavenly messengers for sure. Mm-hmm. But they're also, you know, I think angels can be a loose term too that implies, you know those of us serving as angels, uh, angels to, to, to one another. Mm. Um, One of the cool things too, that I I think is, you know, is that I reflect when I think about angels is, is what Nephi taught about them, that they speak with the power of the Holy ghost. And so when we receive the Holy ghost, I, I think there's a notion where we become entitled and, and, and capable of, Speaking as the angels with that same uh, tongue of the Holy Ghost, and I, and I think that was kind of a cool thing that that struck me is, and again, kind of going back to this notion of preparation, preparatory priesthood. If if it is in fact such that that you know the office of the ministry of angels is, as Moroni said, is to you know do these things like I mentioned, call men to repentance, do the work of the covenant, and prepare the way. And by so doing, the Lord God prepares the way that everybody else can have faith in Christ and. That the Holy Ghost may have a place in their hearts. Hmm. Um, the, the Holy Ghost comes to our hearts as we receive, you know, the work of these ministering angels. Then, in fact, as we, as people, partake of the covenant and become part of the covenant, they in turn can be as the, as these same angels speaking with the same power of the Holy Ghost. Um, and as Moroni concludes, uh, you know, he says, he, he says, and after this manner bringeth to pass the father, the covenants, which he hath made with the children of men. Hmm. Um, and so I, I think embedded in, in this role of what i learned about these angels is they aren't just a left out of left field, sort of, you know, something we read about or speak casually about, you know, the, that there are angels there with us today or whatever, but that, that angels, the role of, of the ministering of angels is, is they play a key role in delivering the Holy ghost to people to bear witness of of the savior and create, create testimony that allows people to make covenants and, and become part of, of of our, of our heavenly father's family.
1: It's an interesting thing. So let me, uh, let me expound on that a little bit. As I hear what you're saying, do you, do you think, would you speculate to say, and I love speculation. So let's, let's dive right in. No, 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 no. I think, and if it is, and if it is about to be set up, I think that it's a good setup. So fear not. Um, so we we oftentimes will talk about like, "Oh, that that person is an angel in my life. You came to me, Nate, and you explained to me how I could better take advantage of the um, the blessings of the sacrament, and that touched my life. It, you know, I felt it true by the Holy Ghost. So as we talk about angels speaking by the power of the Holy Ghost, you could go with me for a second. Be an angel, a ministering angel to me as my heart is pricked by the Holy Ghost. Now, wait, that's not it. That's not the whole thing. But also those who have uh, who have passed on those when we talk about those, you know, those guardian angels or I know that my grandfather who has passed is looking on. I think to me, it it almost makes um, the Holy Ghost a, a, a more... Um, like, like accessible concept. If I know that, that those who have gone on before me are able to speak through the power of the Holy ghost to me, where I would maybe go, Oh, that's the Holy ghost. What it really is, is my great grandpa saying through the power of the Holy ghost, Hey, this is, this is true or follow this, or this is, you know, whatever that thing could be. Is that what you're purporting by what you just said? Yeah, I think that's exactly
0: right. I think, and, and and yeah and it's super cool it's super cool and to me I, I one thing i love that you said there is it makes the holy ghost so much more of an accessible like idea right mm-hmm. when when you can say like oh the holy ghost is delivered through people both those who are here and those who have gone you know and 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 that angels speak by this power of the holy ghost and and they de- and they prepare people for to, to be able to make covenants, to be able to receive the Holy Ghost in that same tongue of angels for themselves. And thus the work of the Lord is, is perpetuated in that way. So yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a really fascinating concept and I don't know, I, I get nerding out on this kind yeah. of stuff sometimes. Yeah. And I, I sometimes are like, is anybody else that interested in that? You know, is this interesting to other people as much as it is me? But, but to me, it's it, 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 exactly what you said. It makes concepts like the Holy Ghost or like, this who are angels or whatever so much more uh palpable and and you know and present um when you kind of when we kind of get underneath underneath it all and think about you know and, and think through some of these things and 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 to me like that's i think where we have opportunity to make to to drive change in our families and in our um wards and and quorums and classes and and all of and and stakes is by helping to bring some of these concepts into a palpable and and like, ah, I get it. And so now it makes a lot more sense when I think about, you know, when that deacon like extends the tray, he is inviting me. He is exhorting me. He might even be warning me and saying, don't partake of this unworthily, you know, but in that capacity, he's serving as, as that angel. And if I can help that deacon understand that connection between, you know, the simple task that he has been assigned and what he's uh, delivering in terms of bringing about the covenants for those people who are there to participate. All of a sudden we have a, we just have, we, you have so much you can work with and purpose you can build on and we can make, make a difference and, and, and drive real change in people's lives and bringing them closer to, 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 to the Lord and what they're trying and, and, making them, you know, bring happiness to their lives.
1: Well, and it's such a different thing when we think about it that way. than we think about the rumpled shirt, messy haired, right. you know, going to take the bread, then I take the water, then, you know, then the countdown is on until this meeting is over. How has, since you started to search for answers to these questions, both about the ironic Priesthood and, and about angels, how has it changed your family? the knowledge that you have gained? How is, how has that changed? Not just for you, but for your family?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I hope it is changing our family. I think it is. I know it's changed me and changed my outlook on, on things. I have uh, three daughters and one son and, you know, y- uh, you talk about the wrinkled shirt. I remember one time several years ago, my son came, you know, who hated going to church mm-hmm. like any normal eight-year-old kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, or 41-year-old yeah. adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, or uh, any age, any, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: Right. But he, uh, you know, I couldn't get him to come out for anything. And one miraculous Sunday morning, I went in to wake him up for, for an early nine o'clock start time. And I didn't, I was not, met with defiance on this day and for some reason I didn't free I thankfully didn't you know come in waving the stick either and uh, I came back a few minutes later and there he was putting his shoe on and you know and and we walked down the hall and I noticed his pant leg was tucked into his sock and his tie was hanging out of his collar and his hair was messed up and his shirt was wrinkled and missed three belt loops and whatever but he was going to church and he was, you know, and he was committed to to what he he thought was going to be important that day. And, and I think, you know, for me, all of a sudden I had this realization. I thought like, you know, that's how the Lord I think sees me as the, the boy with the bedhead, you know, mm-hmm. his shirt untucked and his, and, and, and that perspective I think has helped me in my family. And I think it's helped our families. We've sort of recognized like, look, we don't come with any pretense and we've all got issues and we've got our socks untucked and, and our, you know, shirts untucked, et cetera. Um, And I think that's helped in our family to create a culture of come as you are, you know, and, and, and let's prepare together um, however we are. And and to me, that's super important and and valuable. I think, you know, especially as kids get older and especially in the culture that we live in, speaking of, you know, if we're in this cultural hall together uh, that, we you know that there's much talked about the expectations of that we place upon ourselves true or untrue right but i and i think the more we can dispel some of those traditions and recognize that we all are who we are we've all got baggage um, and and let's come as we are and let's prepare together that's a cultural element that i think has evolved in my family uh, as a result of some of the things we've thought and talked about together that's awesome
1: a great discussion the name of the book is upon you my fellow servants harnessing the power of the ironic priesthood uh, we've been chatting with the author the nathan k nelson what is the uh, what does the k stand for my friend so i was a little bit
0: insistent on having the k mm-hmm. but uh, it's only because go on my mission i was elder k nelson at, because we had two elder nelsons in our mission and that meant something that that meant something to me and it is uh, short for Kent, which is my dad's name, and so it's a little bit of a nod to oh, cool. uh, my dad, who's who deserves it.
1: So let me ask you this. We ask everyone who steps into the Cultural Hall three questions. I'll ask those of you right now. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it?
0: I do indeed. Um, I am a deacon's I'm trying to think if they if I, I think I'm now a deacon's quorum specialist I think is the new name for it so yeah
1: yeah I live and love deacon's quorum nice so very fitting with what the book is if you could pick a calling for yourself uh what calling would you pick it can be made up or it can be one that actually exists
0: I think I would pick I think I would hmm. there's a lot of cons I'd like but I think if I could choose one it would be the unnecessary meeting canceler.
1: i listen i would sustain the crap out of you in that calling all right all right uh does this meeting actually have to have occur no it doesn't cancel that's
0: great
1: that's that's one of the best callings i've heard in a while the final question and interpret this however you will we ask everyone what is your favorite part of your faith hmm I, I, I have a lot of favorite
0: parts, but I, I, think, um, I think to me that it's as simple as the notion that we are children of heavenly parents who love us and that we have the potential to grow and progress and become like them. That, that gives me immense hope. There's a lot of questions in there. There's a lot to learn and a lot to, to grow from. But I also think it is the differentiator of our faith Versus just about anything else out there is we have a reasonably clear sense of where we came from and who we are, and because we know where we came from, I think we have a oftentimes clearer path of where we're headed. Hmm. And so for me, I think, you know you't can't, you can't chart a, your a course on a map and determine a destination without a point of origin. And I think we have an understanding of the point of our point of origin that is unique. And that is true. And so to me, that's my uh, favorite part of my faith.
1: Beautifully said. Uh, A special thanks at this point to the folks over at uh, Cedar Ford Publishing who helped to get this uh, arranged. And thank you to Nathan for taking the time. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body. That if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the cultural hall. Amen. Save me a seat. It's sure to be neat on the
2: back row. We really gotta go on the culture hall show.